This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dashran Johan. Education is a fundamental human right and should be free, or at the very least, highly affordable for everyone. Unfortunately, the reality on the ground is that education, especially tertiary education, is becoming increasingly expensive and students are often forced to take loans just to pursue a bachelor's degree or even their diplomas. Upon completing their education, these students are saddled with massive debt and many cannot afford to pay. Dr. Jeffrey Williams is an economist at the Malaysian University of Science and Technology and he's someone who believes that student loans should be abolished in Malaysia. He joins me on the show today to unpack that. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Well, thank you. First things first, do you believe that education is a fundamental human right and should be free or at the very least highly affordable? I, I tend to agree with the... Uh with what you said, and I think most people would agree with what you said, because it's it's just fundamentally a good thing. Uh, my particular perspective on this is that the fundamental human right is the freedom to choose. Hmm. And the freedom to choose relies upon having access to the opportunities, and particular, of course, opportunities for higher education. And that's really what I consider to be a fundamental right. And if you start to impose fees or high costs on higher education at the point when you're studying, then that presents a barrier. And that barrier then reduces your freedom of choice. And that then is an infringement on your fundamental rights. Right. So what we need to do is to try to reduce the entry barrier, particularly when it comes to finance. You see, education is never free hmm. because somebody has to pay for it at some point. Right. And if I say to you, well, it's your choice, then that re- reflects your personal preferences. So the natural thing to say is, well, if you made the choice personally, you should pay for it personally. <laughs> and there is something to that. But then there is also a social gain from people going to into higher education. So it isn't only a personal gain and a private gain. But the question isn't whether you should pay for it. The question is when you should pay for it. Mm. And if you're forced to pay for it at the point of admission or during the time when you're doing your studying, then that will create a barrier which will stop people going into higher education who might otherwise um, benefit very much from that opportunity. I know for sure that, you know, I went to Cambridge University and I would never have been able to go there if I had to pay for it. Hmm. It's as simple as that. I would, it would simply would not have been possible. Right. So that's why fundamentally I am very much of the view that uh, higher education should be free or, as you say, as low as possible, affordable as possible at the time when you're studying. So in your article on Free Malaysia Today, one line that... Um you know, stood out. And I think this is important to really set the scene to understand deeper the, the, the education landscape in Malaysia in terms of finances, right? So you wrote, and I quote, everyone knows that higher education finance in Malaysia has been stumbling from one crisis to another for decades, end quote. 
Could you expand on this? I don't think everybody knows that. What are the various crises that higher education has faced um, and continue to face in terms of finance? Everybody knows that higher education has to be paid for by somebody and that therefore there is a financial constraint. So if we have higher education provided only through public universities very quickly, the number of places they have available becomes restricted because the finance is restricted. So actually, this is really where we start with the Malaysian higher education system in the current as it is now, which is a mix of public and private mm. offerings. Right. So in, in 1996, when we had the Private Higher Education Act, the Triple Five Act, this was an attempt to open up opportunities um, for people to take higher education because the public financing of the public universities had met a constraint. Mm. So the, it, almost from that time, there was a constraint and that Constraint was eased by introducing private universities and then funding that at the same time, which with the PTPTN loans, which were introduced at about the same time, 1997, actually. So that system worked for um, uh, uh, some time because the numbers were still relatively small. So the amount of money that PTPTM was issuing in terms of loans was relatively small and manageable. But then over time, the numbers rose, both in the public and the private universities. And so the amount of the loan that uh, PTPTM were issuing, the loans in total, began to to increase. And then we got to the uh, to around 2020, uh, 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. when there was a, a, a crunch on PTPTN because the number of loans that they were issuing and the amount of loans that they were issuing was beginning to exceed the funds that they had. And at that time, then the government, the education minister, then I think was Tantri Moidin, and they reduced the PTPTN loan for private universities by 15% and by public universities or for public universities by 5%. And that was the first, it was, you know, it was a potential crisis which was averted by reducing the loan amounts. Hmm. Then from that time up to the time when we did our research with that, I did my research with the Penang Institute around 2015, 2016, we found that the private universities were in very significant financial constraints. Right. And this was partly because of the loan situation that we had before because their revenue comes from the loans and if the loans have been reduced the financial constraint on them uh, starts to hit and that's a crisis for them jeffrey what do you mean their revenues come from the loans because uh, from an outside just looking in on a surface level it seems um that you know private education from the tertiary level is like this fantastic, booming business. You do see private universities mushrooming, right? Everywhere, every nook and corner from shop houses to larger campuses and and so on and so forth. So what do you mean it's being financed by these loans? It's being financed by the loans for the Malaysian students because the, the students who come to us in the private universities are largely from lower income groups. And I think that people misunderstand the private universities. They often think that these are high income, 
families, uh, students from high-income families, and that they're paying very high fees. Neither of those two things are true. Neither of those are true. Right. The people who come to us are, generally speaking, from lower-income um, uh, families, and our fees are very low because of the uh, competition, number one, but also because we can't really charge more than the students can pay. Mm. And the amount that the students can pay is restricted by the PTPTN loan. Mm. And that keeps our prices down very much. Okay, and what that means is that we have revenue problems and cash flow problems con continuously. And that was something that we had identified in the, 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 um, the, the research that we did and the data from um, around 2015, 2016. And then, of course, up we came uh, through to the pandemic. And then the pandemic gives us another uh, huge hit. And what that means is that uh, our revenues then in the private sector, at least, began to be con constricted even further. Right. Uh, students uh, were not coming for, for many reasons. Not, the first was the, the, exam the school exams had been delayed, so they didn't come. The second is the international students didn't come because of the lockdown. The third is that because family incomes had been falling, students were not able to afford to come to us. And another issue is that the public universities started to increase their places significantly, both in the universities and in the polytechnics and the TVET centers. And that means that many of the students who would have come to us went into the public sector. So between 2017 and where we are now, uh, 2022, last year's full, full year data for last year, enrollment in private universities has fallen by 153,000 students. This and across that the nation. really has yes across the whole of the sector, and that really, of course, that really crunches our revenues. Now, some universities do well because they are um, bigger, well-financed, well-known, household-name universities. They tend to do very well, but amongst the others, um, they, they're doing very badly. So we're now seeing a number of the private universities. Um, for sale and for closing down. And, and you know, in, in, in at least one case, we know, which public domain information, that the number of students has fallen by 90%, 90% reduction in the number of students. And that clearly has a crisis. This is clearly a crisis from the private sector perspective. Yeah. Right. So I appreciate the point you bring <laughs> up about how you know, there's this misconception that everybody who goes to private universities are, you know, super rich people and all. That's not the reality on the ground. Um, let's park that thought for a second because I want to get back to that. But before that, your article mentions that a substantial portion of the PTPTN loans is directed towards private universities. How does it compare to public universities? What are the key issues with the current distribution patterns of this loan? All right. So if we look at the latest uh, PTPTN report, which is for the full year 2021, we don't have the full year 2022 yet. Um, the number of loans issued to public university students is bigger in terms of the because the number of 
students going to the public universities has increased for the reasons I mentioned before. Right. Um, and so 55.4% uh, of all of the loans issued are going to students in the public universities and the balance, which is 44.6%, um, are coming to us in the private universities. Right. But when you look at the amount of the money, mm -hmm. it's the other way around, almost exactly the other way around. So 43%, um, 43.2% of the money is going to the public universities and 56.8% of the money is coming to the private universities. Right. The reason for that is that our fees are higher. Yep. And that, that's it. So even if the number of students is lower, the fees are higher. Now, in the past, when we did our research, that number was around 60%. So it's come down a little bit, but it's still almost 57% of the money that's coming to us. And what that means is that our, our um, private universities are largely funded by the debt. Right. So contextualize that for us. Why is that a problem? It's a problem because, um, the, for what I said a moment ago, the fees that we can charge the students are limited to the amount of money the students can afford to pay. Right. And because many of these students are from low-income families, they can only pay what they can borrow. So what that means is if PTPTN limits the amount of money that they are going to give to the student, that means that our fees are limited, actually, in turn, by the level of the loan. And what that means is that we have to be increasingly cost efficient to keep our fees down. Also, we are in a very competitive environment, so lots of the universities are really pushing down the, the, the price of a degree. You can get a degree for less than 25000 a three-year bachelor's degree, less right. than 25000 and you can get a master's degree for less than 10,000, an MBA for less than 10,000. So that's how low these fees are now going. Right. So, um, and, and that's a problem for us because we are competing on price, not on quality. Uh, if our fees are lower, our revenues are lower. If our revenues are lower, the quality suffers. Right. So let's talk about that. How does the quality suffer? Because I think for most people, the most important thing, the reason they want to go to, if, whether it's private or public or whatever universities, they are looking at the kind of coursework um, and more importantly, the kind of lecturers. Who are the professors at the universities? Are they good? I'm wondering if these things get impacted based on the way things are structured, fi uh, like financially structured right now. Yes, certainly. I, I would say certainly that certainly they do. I mean, there, there is, I mean, on one hand, there is the physical infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Clearly, if your revenues are um, constrained, the physical infrastructure becomes difficult to maintain. Right. In fact, one private university is a household name. Private university has recently issued a, a bond, a corporate bond for 165 million ringgit to pay for operational expenditures. That means the upkeep of the buildings and the utilities as well as the salaries. And what that means is that they're going into debt in order to pay for day-to-day -day running costs. Right. And that means that, of course, they're going to be economizing on day-to-day -day running costs. And that means the physical infrastructure, the um, renewal of uh, 
uh, equipment, uh, computer labs, um, technology labs, and all of these sort of things will be put off and put off. And of course, it means that the salaries of the faculty will be pushed down and the, the terms and conditions of employment of the faculty will become increasingly um, freelance and in increasingly gig economy. We talk a lot about the gig economy, right? right? But one of the biggest gig economy areas outside of uh, uh, e-hailing is uh, academics working in universities. Right. And obviously, if you are on that sort of more precarious contract with the best will in the world, it becomes more and more difficult for you to focus on quality issues in terms of teaching and commitment and the number of hours that you're working is increasing. So that means that for any particular course or certainly for any particular student, you just have less, less time. And this is all a consequence of revenues. On the show with me today is Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. We will continue our discussion after the break. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Dr. Jeffrey Williams, Professor and Economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. And we're talking about student loans and why they should be abolished. So Jeffrey, the PTPTN loans have ballooned to about 67 billion. What is the impact of these continuously ballooning PTPTN loans? Eventually, PTPTN will hit a limit mm -hmm. as to how many new loans they will be able to issue, like they did back in 2014. Right. And then they will have to face a question of, PTPTN borrow the money and then they lend it out to students at uh, subsidized rates. So when they've uh, reached the limit of the money that they borrowed in the bonds that they have issued, um, they will have less money to issue to new students in terms of loans. And um, that means that they, they start to hit, to hit the constraint. And then we might have another round of what we had in 2014, which is either they reduce the amount of money that they're lending, or they will uh, reduce the number of loans and start restricting those loans. And then because of the dependency of the system as a whole in the public and the private sector, on the loan system that will reduce revenues overall. Right. But you see, the other issue is that PTPTN have to finance this debt. And um, the financing costs for them are currently subsidized by the government. The government w uh, was subsidizing in 2019 about two billion a year. And that then the, uh, the total debt was about 40 billion. Now it's about 67 billion. So it, the, the government subsidy of the debt will be very much higher as a consequence. And eventually the government is going to look at that and say, well, this then becomes a constraint right. on, on us, the government. And the third problem is that the reason that all of this becomes a constraint is because of the repayment of the debt by the students. And that is affected by very many different factors. But to cut a long story short, the amount that PTPTN need to recover is going up because the debt is going up. But the rate at which they are recovering it is not keeping pace with the amount that they need to recover. Right. 
and that means they they can't um they, they, they it, it's becoming increasingly difficult for them to maintain the loan system as a whole right. now without wanting to sound too um too alarmist because it's 67 billion ringgit if they were heaven forfend but if they were to default on the repayment of their loan that would represent a very significant systemic financial crisis for the entire country that's why it's that important how do you square the circle then then do you think student loans should be abolished and if so um, if student loans are abolished like you said, there is a 67 billion um, debt, essentially. Um, how do we pay, pay off the 67 billion debt? Um, that's one. And, and two, how do we ensure that people can pay for education, which is not cheap, especially in private universities, right? Like you said, you can get a, a, you know, a, a degree for, for 30,000 ringgit, 20,000, 40,000 ringgit. Um, but at the same time, we are looking at the students that actually go to these private institutions. 30,000, 40,000 ringgit is a lot of money. Um, but at the same time, like you said, if the universities cannot increase the fee, then there is a, you are going to see a, a drop in quality in terms of infrastructure or just um, you know, professors and, and lecturers are just get, being treated as gig workers. Make it make sense for me. We need a new funding model mm. for higher education. This is clear. Right. The, the student loan system in Malaysia is not unique to Malaysia. In fact, if you look at just about every student loan system around the world, everywhere in the world, they have faced the same problems. When you have a small number of students borrowing relatively small amounts of money, it works perfectly fine. But when you have very large numbers um, more than a million Malaysian students. Um, when you have these very large numbers, then it becomes un unsustainable. So in my view, it isn't sustainable to continue with the loan system as the main form of financing of higher education. Right. And also, I would say that that is also the view presented by PTPTN itself in 2019, when one Saifo was the chairman who basically gave that analysis and said, look, um, we're doing our best, but on current pro uh, projections, it's, got, it's going to get more and more difficult and we need to think about reform. Uh, now, he, he presented that very honestly and very straightforwardly. Unfortunately, there was then <laughs> a shift, a change in the government and and then the, the reform of that was was put on the back burner and we, don't, we haven't got that. In the meantime, we've had the, the lockdown and the recession and all of that. So it's, 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 you know, it's much more difficult. So in my view, the loans have to go and we need to look at a different way to finance higher education. When you say the loans have got to go, are you saying that we need to then wave off? So now you've got so many students in Malaysia who have taken up loans and even, you know, many of them struggle to pay it back. Are we saying, clean slate, let's get rid of that. If you took a loan, you don't have to pay it back. And But in future, in the next uh, generation of students, they won't have a loan system to take a loan in the first place. Is that what we are, we are saying? Okay, so let, let's look at it in the other way around. You know, my view is 
But first, we have to say from now on, hmm. students will not take out loans. Okay. And then, of course, as we said, we have to find a, a way of financing that, which probably right. we discuss in a second. Right. But then, of course, there is an issue of well, what about the guys who have the loans? Right. If it were left to me and you, we would <laughs> we would just say forget the loans. Right. <laughs> but. We're not in the government, right? So that is a political decision. But if it was left to us, we probably would say, forget it. Just let's find a different way of dealing with it. But I do recognize and I understand very much and I respect people who say, look, I paid for my degree for a loan and these guys have taken out a loan. And if they've taken out a loan, they should pay it back and so on. I understand all of that. Now, my view on that is fine. Let you know. Let's try to find ways of dealing with that, but take it out of the the current funding system. Take it out. Take it into the Ministry of Finance and let them try to sort that out. And PTPTN would then continue to exist, but it would exist not so much as a loan uh, system, but as a saving system. Because PTPTN has a very important saving component as well to allow people to save for higher education. And that will completely change the role of PTPTN in the future. But for new students, my view would be that they would not pay during the time that they were studying beyond what the public university students are currently paying, which right. is a very low amount of about a thousand ringgit per semester. Right. Okay, so that that's that would be my view. You would have to find some solutions for those um, who already had a loan and an outstanding loan, and how to repay that. Um, and uh, but take it away, take it out of the system, and park it somewhere else. So now the now comes the big question: What would be a better alternative funding model under the current numbers of students that we have? Because it has, in fact, fallen significantly, particularly for the private universities, um, given the enrollment figures we have for 2022, which is the last full year, it would actually be conceivable that the government could fund those uh, uh, programs for bachelor's degrees and even diploma degrees for free. Right. Uh, it's it's not my it's not my view that master's degrees and and so on should should be free, but certainly bachelor's and diploma students that that could be funded um, for free from the current in my view from the current budget, right. and that amount would be anywhere between um, two or three billion ringgit, perhaps even a little bit less, but probably somewhere between two or three billion ringgit, which is. Not a great deal of money. The government has just announced the progressive wage model, and that's about the amount that they have, two to three billion that they're going to put for there. But it's also not a lot when you look at how much the government is paying to subsidize the interest payments on the PTPTN, hmm. which is also uh, more than two billion. So actually, it could be funded for the current enrollment of Malaysian students on a bachelor's and diploma level. Education is a, um, is, it's a fundamental right. 
it's um, people should have free or at least very highly affordable education. Um, so it's a matter of how we do the maths to get there. Now, education is highly affordable in Malaysia, though it could be even more affordable if you manage to get into public universities. So that is the big if, if you manage to get into public universities. But private universities are incredibly expensive. I'm not saying that, you know, it, it's whether, you know, like I said, 30000 to get a degree sounds cheap um, in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, people cannot afford, afford it. I wish that Malaysia had as many well-funded public universities as we do private colleges and universities. That's the ideal in which people have the choice to pursue an education or cause of their desire all in the public sphere, completely funded by uh, public money. But that's not the case. I know many people, not ultra-wealthy, but upper-middle-class people, like you said, even lower-middle-class people who had to sell, you know, their metaphorical kidney to send their kids to private universities, and PTPTN certainly helped them. So if there aren't enough places in public universities, and private universities are incredibly expensive to the people attending the private universities, though the, the people running the private universities wish they could charge higher so they can pay the lecturers better, have better infrastructure. And there isn't a loan in this e e equation. What do people do? The first thing to, to, to understand is that actually the private universities are cheaper than the public universities. They are, but not to the student. Because the public universities are subsidized. So right. for the student, the costs are very low. But for the state, for the government, for the taxpayer, actually the costs per student the cost per student in a public university is at least twice, if not three times, the cost of sending them to a private university. The the difference is in a private university, the student pays the whole cost. Right. In a public university, it's very highly subsidized. Right. Now, when one, because we are in a very competitive environment and we are very cost conscious in the private universities. So actually our, our, our um, annual fees are very much lower than the public university annual fees. So it would be possible for the government to buy from us the places for the students at half or even one third of the costs that they would buy those places from the public universities. Right. It would be possible for them to do, to do that, yes. And that would essentially make it free for the student. Right. Apart so, from the administration fee, yeah. it's not 100% free, but apart from the administration fee, it would be essentially free to the student. And it could be done in that way. Absolutely. And I don't understand really why this is not at the forefront of the discussion, because actually our students are Malaysians too. They, they are not, they are no different to the students who go to a public university. Right. They come from the same background, the same kampong, they went to the same types of schools, suddenly they are being forced to pay. And the ones that go to the public university are getting the subsidy and they're not going. And I don't see why. They, that, that should be the case. So this is very interesting. So what you're saying um, is that 
you think that private universities should be subsidized by the government as well, the same way public universities are subsidized. So essentially, private universities, as far as the consumer is concerned or the student is concerned or a parent is concerned, is going to be um, more or less the same price. Let's say if you want to do a bachelor's degree in communication, it will be roughly the same price as what you would be paying in a public university. Yes, and provided that the private universities were properly regulated and providing the the quality the, the quality of education that the, you know that you would get equivalent in a public university which we are the, the best ones for sure then provided they they met, met those quality criteria then the government should be uh, able to pay that fee on behalf of the student who wants to go there it would also give students much greater choice and freedom in, in terms of the location, for example, of where, of where the universities might be, as well as the courses, and it would be cheaper to the government. Yes. So that's the thing, right? Critics will point out that this, what you're suggesting could be unsustainable because where are you going to get that money from? Right now, there's a loan system and loan has have interest and people, at least in principle, have to pay back their, their, that, that loans and so you know, you, you sort of um, raise money that way or, or it's, it's, you know, people are just taking loans, like how you take loans for anything else um, and then you just pay it back based on your own salary. And, and or, Whereas now what you're, you're saying is that, you know, the government should subsidize private universities the same way they do public universities so that students don't have to take out loans in the first place. How do we fund this? Are, are we talking about a taxation program? And where do they, where, because the, the government will say, or critiques um, against you will say, we don't have that kind of money. Okay, well, here's the deal. The, you can fund it through a loan system, which is where we are now, mm-hmm. but it's patently failed. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think anybody would look at the loan system and the way the current financing and say it works. doesn't. So then you have an alternative. You can fund it directly from the government and not ask anybody to pay anything back. That is affordable because for the, uh, you know, for the quarter of a million students who are enrolled in bachelor's degrees at private universities, the amount that the government would have to pay would be less than they have put uh, for the budget for the the progressive wage, for example. It is it is it is affordable, and anybody who says it's not affordable needs to go and look at the maths. It is affordable now you, in the current budget. You do not even need to raise the current budget. But in the long term, of course, we would want to see more investment in higher education, right. uh, particularly per student. So you would want to see the amount rising over time. Then you want to raise revenues. Mm-hmm. And one option to raise revenues is to uh, is to have a graduate tax, right? Which says, you, look, you uh, benefited from higher education free, whether it was in public or the private sector, we gave it to you for free. As a consequence, your salaries are now higher in the future. So now's the time to t- take advantage of your higher salaries to pay back some of the costs of what we we invested in you during your time at university 
And then you can begin to recover some of the costs of higher education from the people who benefited from the free education when their income has risen to a level where they can show that there was a return on investment. And what that means is that where, where people are in a social job, where they are giving a lot of social value, their teachers, their early childhood educators, they're working in the health services and so on, their salaries would be low. They are giving a great deal of social benefit. Then they wouldn't reach the threshold to pay the tax. But where they're corporate lawyers and accountants and businessmen and all of that, where most of that benefit is a private benefit and their salaries are many multiples of the average salary, they are benefiting a great deal, then you tax them because they are showing a return on the investment and then you can recover the return on the investment through a graduate tax. Some might argue that even in the corporate sector, in Malaysia today, unlike you compare to, let's say, Singapore, the wages are low. Even when yes. you look at the T20, I think we've had discussions like this. Even when you look at the T20 and you look at who is at the 20 of the T20, the bottom part of the T20, they are what you would have in your imagination of a middle-class person with a middle-class lifestyle. And, and in fact, our middle-class is also very poor in that sense and, and the poor, the B40 is even worse off. Mm. So... To me, it goes back when it comes to taxation. Um, I think as long as it's a progressive taxation, it's a good thing. But within that, when, when it comes to taxing incomes, um, in this sense, uh, a graduate tax would be a, a form of income tax on people who have graduated um, with degrees. Um, people will push back and say, but our incomes in Malaysia are very low. So does it go back to that fundamental issue of we need to fix the wage problem in Malaysia? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> but in the context of graduates, and here's why the graduates should support the graduate tax. Right. Because they will only pay the graduate tax when their income is high. Right. But now they have to repay their loan whether their income is high or not. Mm. And so it is very much better for people um, in that situation. Now, of course, if they already paid off their loan, then PTPTN can give them a certificate. They would be exempt from any further taxation. That's equitable, isn't it? Because they paid and they paid it back, no, nothing further for them. But the situation we have now is that we have graduates with debt taking on non-graduate jobs or graduate jobs on low salaries, having to pay back that debt. And that's a huge burden. Under the graduate tax, they won't have the debt and they will only pay back when their salaries have gone up. Mm. And if they're in social, um, socially important types of jobs, they will never pay back because they're making a social contribution. PTPTN will get rid of its massive debt overhang. The government will not have a contingent liability for that debt. And the government will also not be subsidizing that debt. And the universities should be in favor of all of this because the universities will be getting a much more reliable, steady stream of income. You know, some have argued that we should shift completely in a different direction the way we look at education in Malaysia. So those who get a place in a public university 
attend public universities. You, so perhaps these are the people with the best of the best grades um, and, and so on and so forth. Of course, with quota systems uh, taking into account of all of that. But broadly speaking, the best of the best students in Malaysia go to public universities. You want to pursue medicine, pursue whatever, your communications, your engineering, all in public universities. And those who don't get a place in these public institutions stop thinking about needing this big degree and this big master's and, and so on and so forth, go to vocational schools, community colleges, and still get dignified wages. So essentially, you're changing the philosophy in, in a way that not everybody thinks they should and want to go to universities, get a degree, get a master's and so on and so forth. What do you think of that? Yes, I think that there is a very strong argument for a fundamental change in how we look at higher education. Because uh, the, the, I don't know when this happened, but somehow higher education shifted from being the pursuit of a scholarship to being the pursuit of getting a job. And I, I don't know when that happened. When I went to university, only 20% of my age group went to university. And there was no question of our going there because we wanted a job. That was not the reason we went. Now... In back in the UK, it's about 50% of any age group will go. Here in Malaysia, it's, a, it's 27%, about 30% of any age group. But the simple fact of it is, if you look at the employment data, 47% of all graduates are not in graduate employment. Right. So the, that go to university, get a better job, get a better salary is just not true. And that has been driven by the system where um, vice chancellors and the owners of uh, universe, private universities in particular want to recruit more and more people because they get more and more revenue, whether or not it is appropriate for them. Hmm. Now, um, if there is a different funding model, they, that, that incentive wouldn't be there for them or it would be less for them. And then people could actually start to make better decisions like you were mentioning, which is actually for many people going to university is not the right choice for them. And in fact, we are seeing increasingly is one of the reasons why student, you know, student recruitment is falling is because many people leave school. They look at the prospect of four years in university with no income and all of the debt and all of the cost of the fees, when they graduate, graduate salaries are barely minimum wage. The, you know, the um, median graduate salary is only 1,600 ringgit, incredibly low. Yeah. And they look at that and they say, why on earth would I do that? I mean, as an economist, I have to tell you, I, you know, it absolutely makes no sense from an economic perspective. Right. You, you genuinely should not do that. But I hear time and time and time again, vice chancellors telling students, come to my university because it makes economic sense. That is not true. It doesn't. The return on the investment will be four or five years at least after graduation. And if you were four years in university to get your degree in the first place, that's eight, nine years after you left school. In the meantime, your peers will have been working. And even if they were working on the lowest salaries, 
they will have hundreds of thousands of ringgit and you will have hundreds of thousands of ringgit of debt. And what that means is that the market is already pushing us in that direction. People are already making that, um, that choice. And that isn't overall a good thing because we do want people to be actively involved in training and uplifting their, their, their human capital. It gives them more choice and more opportunities in the longer term, but perhaps not in the universities through different routes. And that's what we, we really need to, um, to encourage. But we won't do that until we change the financing system for the higher education uh, institutions. So I definitely take that point. I agree with you. And there are a couple of other things I deeply, I think we are on the same page here. For starters, student loans should be abolished and education should be highly affordable if if not free. Two, there needs to be a tax system or some sort of financing uh, financing model to pay off the debt and, and subsidize the education of private universities, public universities, so that education can be affordable for the masses. My question is, why a graduate tax? Why is it that when we talk about these things, we don't talk about taxing the richest people in society? And I'm not talking about this so-called T20, but the T1 in terms of, you know, and the richest corporations in societies. So an inheritance tax, wealth tax on billionaires, these sorts of things. Why don't we do this to fund our education program instead of again putting the burden of the tax on working people, be it whether it's in a progressive way or not? Okay, well, the answer to that is you could do that because raising 2 billion ringgit or 3 billion, even raising 4 billion would be very, very easy from the type of taxes that you have just mentioned on the most wealthy people and the most wealthy corporations. We, we, we could do that. We could also impose a 1% tax on um, electronic payments, and that would raise 15 billion. So, you know, you could finance higher education for the best part of 10 years just with a 1% tax on, um, on e-payments. Uh, we, we could do that. And that's the, you know, I mentioned either we fund through loans or private payments, or we fund through the government payments, or we fund through a graduate tax. What we're talking about now is the middle bit. You can fund it through the current, um, you can fund it through the current budget. One thing I think we would need to be cautious about, you know, in, in asking corporations to pay for it directly, is that then they would have far too much influence and far too much control, perhaps, over the institutions, the private, you know, the public in, and public and private institutions. So you would and what we can see is that we do have corporations that run private universities uh, in Malaysia. They haven't been able to make these universities any more profitable than anybody else. <laughs> so asking them to try to get involved in the management of it, I think, is not a good thing. But certainly in terms of the financing of the system more generally is certainly achievable. Certainly, no question. And it would take away all of this systemic problem. Are we worried about capital flight? No, no, no. Because the amounts of money that we're, we're, we're not talking about hundreds of billions. Right. We're not. I mean, we're talking about two or three billion and the current budget, uh, within the current budget. We also have to remember there's 6.8 billion in TVET. The government's TVET budget is 6.8 billion. 
So if you incorporated all of this money together, there's more than enough money. The, the problem with Malaysian higher education is not an absence of money. It's how the money is spent and who is spending it. Uh, and then in the private system, where it's coming from because it's being funded by loans. There are economic solutions to all of these problems, but um, for one reason or another, it isn't on the front of the agenda. And it wasn't on the front of the agenda of the current government. It's not, it wasn't on the front of the agenda of the previous two governments either. It was on the front of the agenda of the first PH government. <laughs> right. But then it got pushed somewhere pushed off the agenda somehow but we will have to come back to it in my view because it's becoming more and more urgent i think that's a very good place to end this conversation jeffrey thank you so much once again for joining me okay it's a pleasure that was dr jeffrey williams economist at the malaysia university of science and technology if you missed any part of our conversation you can also check us out on podcasts we're available on spotify apple podcasts or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from just look up Beyond the Ballot Box. We would also appreciate it if you drop us a review on Spotify. I'm Dashran Johan and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.